my mom called me a pyromaniac when I was a kid. And I said, I'm going to be a pastor. That didn't happen, actually. Um, what I love about fire and about flames is that there's something disproportionately powerful about what happens when a flame hits darkness. One singular candle has the power to <clears throat> interrupt darkness, to, to be seen from a long way away. I remember when I was a kid, I was in fourth grade, and I, I went to an overnight summer camp up in the woods of Wisconsin. And one night, it was, um, it was kind of the middle of the week, my uh, leader told us all, you know, hey, we're going to take a night hike. Do you know what a night hike is? It's, it's when you um, leave all of your uh, maps, leave all of your compasses, leave your flashlights back at the cabin because you're just going to use the light of the moon and your own sort of, you know, cardinal directional sense in your own mind to be able to go wander about. And, and it's this like team building exercise. And so my leader said he knew where he was going. He said, and we all being uh, fourth graders just excitedly obliged. It was really exciting. We took off around the lake. It was a really small lake. It wasn't really that big of a property. Parents don't freak out. It, it was the 90s, but you know, uh, it was fine. And, and so we started out on this, this journey, and we were all calling out to each other just different bits of, you know, hey, rock, watch out for the rock, and steps, and watch out for the root, and we were all just helping each other, making sure that we could navigate the darkness together, and it was really great until about halfway around the lake, actually at the exact halfway point around the lake, uh, my leader stopped, and he looked at the path, and he whispered to the other adult that was with us, we all heard it, he said, I thought the path stayed closer to the lake. And the other guy said, I don't know, let's just keep walking. And so we kept going and going and, and, and all of a sudden he stopped and he looked around and he looked at us and he did the thing that you're not supposed to do as an adult. He admitted he had no idea where he was. Kids, any kids in the, uh, the house here have a dad who's gotten in the car and gotten you lost before? My kids accuse me of this all the time. Well, what do you do? Kids, what, do you, what does your dad do? He goes, hey, Siri, right? Show me directions. Uh, we didn't have anything. It was supposed to be a nice starry night, but there were clouds everywhere, and just we felt very in the dark. We decided to keep moving forward and um, take it step at a time, regretting every step of the way that we didn't have a flashlight, that we didn't just have a flashlight just in case, and all of a sudden, breaking through the tree line, way out in the distance, we saw the glow of a fire. You ever have that moment where you just didn't know where you were going until you kind of saw where you were going? I'd never seen a glow of the fire that I loved more than that day on that hike. See, we were lost in the woods, but we saw somebody else was out there, and so we all together kind of progressively walked up, and being the 90s, we didn't know who it was. We didn't know if it was like that TV show, Are You Afraid of the Dark?, Maybe there's a bunch of kids around the campfire filming a TV show, or if it was friends, or if it was someone camping where they shouldn't have been. And as we got closer, we recognized that this campfire was actually the outpost of our camp, and that right down the road from this here fire was our cabin, that the light had actually guided us exactly where we needed to go. I know what you're thinking. This sounds a lot like Christmas. And for me, it does. 
Now, I know, I know, I know. Uh, Christmas is a time where we're supposed to focus on the baby in a manger, right? Cute six-pound, eight-ounce baby Jesus lying there in the manger. I know, it's a time for us to remember that wise men from the East visited Jesus and brought him gifts. Any kids expecting some gifts? Any adults expecting some gifts? Yeah, I mean, they brought Jesus gifts, and that's why you and I get PlayStation 5s and Lexuses in our driveway on Christmas. Right? I mean, it's about the gifts. Uh, Of course, Christmas is, of course, about the birth of Jesus. It's about the greatest hope that has come to us from God to us as a gift to humanity. But Christmas is actually, I think, more about the flickering of one light against the present darkness of this world. And the light being disproportionately powerful to the circumstances that it entered. And here's why I want to just cast the Christmas story for us as the next just couple of minutes as we journey through this together. is Because the, the Christmas story starts with the words, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. It's right there in the second line of recorded history that darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And the first words ever recorded by any being that we take from the Hebrew Bible are are these words right here. God said, he spoke one word, he said, light. And the first act that God did in interrupting the course of history was that of bringing light into darkness, of interrupting the darkness with his word and bringing about light. And God made the surface of the earth glow with his light. If we were to keep reading, we'd find that God thought that this was pretty awesome. God thought that his creation, the separation of darkness and light was pretty great. And I think God might have been smugly satisfied, kind of saying light and it just kind of glowing out. And him being like, huh, cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's not surprised, he's God. But I think there was a goodness about this saying, yeah, this is my power that no one else could do. All of the forces of the world that are about to come are, are nothing in comparison to the forces that I can create with my words. And I think God looked at this light and he said, this is good because of what it's going to do for the people that I love the most, the creation that I'm about to create, the, the people. It's, this light is going to provide for them life. And that's exactly what God did. God created the most amazing, vibrant life for us. A life so good that you and I, somewhere in the recesses of our minds, somewhere in the recesses of our collective soul, we believe that this pure life is out there somewhere. We've got this ancient memory of this life that was so good that we've been on a quest to find ever since we lost it. This is the type of life that we only uh, dream about. It's the type of life that's sold to us from advertisements. It's the type of life that we snap and try and curate on Instagram or with our yards and manicuring them. It's the type of life that politicians promise they're going to build for us and poets try and deride and doctors try and revive. But no matter what it is, we have not been able to put our hands around this life since this moment that God created it through his light. And I believe this is true. I I believe, you know, some people doubt whether or not Genesis is true or not. You know, they've got their theories and the Bible's got its theory. I believe it's true only because the Bible goes on to say something incredibly radical and incredibly honest. Something 
incredibly necessary for us for Christmas. Just a couple chapters later, the Bible tells us that we traded on the light. And so we lost the life. That we had made a deal to put the wisdom of the creation higher than the ways of the creator. And we decided to not trust the words that God had given to us, even though he made the world with those words. We decided to rest on our own wisdom, and it brought us to a place of darkness. We, we all started, as it were, humanity's night hike. And through the generations, people would try and be perfect. They try to do really good things. Just like when my kids go with me to the store and they get busted and I take the candy away from them at the end of the trip and they say, but dad, please, we promise we'll be good. We promise. Humanity tried to tell God, we promise we'll be good. We promise we'll put it back together. But we, we, we didn't realize that the power of the light wasn't within us to create. It was outside of us to begin with. We, we tried to conjure up all this light, not realizing that light comes from an external source than what's inside of us. And so on our night hike, we went looking for God, looking for ways to come back to this life. And you felt this in your soul, haven't you? Over the past 19 months, 20 months, you, you've felt this deep in your soul that there's got to be something deeper to life than just this. This world of darkness, world of despair, this world of disease, this world of disinformation, this, this world that is dying. There's got to be something more. We've all, we've all felt this. We, we've been lost in the woods as a, as a people, as a society, as it were, awaiting a light. And the prophets of that day, they would, they would make prophecies. And, and Jer uh, Isaiah is one of the, the, the ones who, uh, 700 years, about right before the first Christmas, 700 years, he, he said this prophecy to the people. He said this. He said, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And then, and then he gets to this just a few verses later. A couple words later, he says what maybe is written on your Christmas cards. He says, for us, to us, a child is born. And to us, a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulders. That's a way of saying that his power will, power will be expansive. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. You see, the prophet said that the way that light was going to come back into this world that would bring us back into the assembled gathering of God would be through a child. Now, listen. I got three kids, and my life was a little bit more peaceful bef before them. <laughs> and, and, and in a matter of hours, my family will hop into a minivan and drive back to Chicago where my family is gathering for Christmas. And I'm just praying for there to be a Prince of Peace over the Siena, <laughs> right? I mean, we don't, eat, we don't typically equate peace with kids. We don't typically equate light with children. And yet, 700 years before Christmas, this prophet Isaiah said, coming to us is a child who will be called Prince of Peace. 
What I find radically amazing is that if you trace the story even further, all the way up to just a couple of weeks before Jesus is born, uh, Jesus, Jesus is uh, maybe his, his cousin-in-law, right? Mary's cousin-in-law, Zechariah, has a child of his own, become John the Baptist. And he prophesies over this son saying about Mary's child. He says this in Luke chapter 1, uh, verses 78. He says, that the mercies of God are going to come like the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness, in the shadow of death. And then he uses the same words, to guide our feet into the way of peace. That peace is this like perfect harmony back with God, the way that life was meant to be. That deep yearning inside of our hearts would finally be satisfied because God was sending a son that would come to us like a sunrise. So Joseph and Mary, that first Christmas, don't have what I would call a peaceful beginning to Jesus' life. There's that ride up the hillside to Bethlehem where Mary is nine months pregnant and riding on a donkey. Uh, there's that lack of any friends or family around them. No space for them to even deliver this child into the world. Everybody's in an uproar because the ruling authorities have decided to tax the people more. That's all, that always goes over well, doesn't it? And so all these people had to shuffle around and there was no space for them. And she ends up giving birth in less than ideal conditions and wrapping her child in really unfit clothing and laying him in a place where animals would feed. And, and Luke tells us that just a couple hundred yards away from this moment, uh, in this hillside, not too far away, were shepherds who were keeping watch over their flocks by night. I, I think it really was nighttime, but I've often wondered if like, Luke was just writing a metaphor for us. Like this was the type of nighttime of the soul for all of Israel. Like, this is Simon and Garfunkel type of hello darkness, my old friend type of things. You know what I mean? Like, like here we are in this miserable world, and, and, and is there any hope for us when one singular angel shows up in the sky? Talk about power disproportionate to its number. One angel shows up in the sky and, and Luke tells us that the glory of God shone all around the shepherds and they were terrified. One angel envelops this whole entire company of shepherds with light in the darkness and gives to them this message. It says essentially what Isaiah said, that to you is born today in the city of David a savior. He is Christ the Lord. The shepherds, having heard the message and seeing the sign and seeing the light, they race to find Mary and Joseph, and they tell them all that had happened. I love that one of Jesus' other followers, a guy named Matthew, records the same events but from a different perspective. And he tells us about wise men from the east. These are astrologers, people who would study the sky looking for signs and prophecies, and they see this weird star that maybe wasn't there before. And they follow the star, the singular light with disproportionate power to be seen from so far away. And the star leads them to Jesus. I, I love a third way that the story of Jesus' birth is told by another one of Jesus' followers, this guy named John. 
John uh, puts kind of all of this together for us in a really tidy bow. He says this. He says that actually Jesus um, wasn't just some person who was born, but he was actually the ever-present God from the beginning of time. This is what John says uh, in, in his account. He says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. That, that's just a little um, way that John was talking about Jesus, by the way. The word being this, this, this idea that was preexistent. We refer to it as the word that God spoke, but that spoken word is actually Jesus. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Doesn't that sound a lot like Genesis? Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. And then, and then notice where John goes. He says this, just like Genesis 2 says God spoke, but here's what Jesus is. In him was life, and that life was the what? the light of all mankind. John wants us to see that Jesus himself was the light that brings us back the life. And all throughout the rest of what John would write about Jesus, Jesus is picking up this image of being the light that has singularly been struck, this one light bouncing off against the darkness. And he says things like in John chapter 8, he says, I am the light of the world. In John chapter 9, he says, I must work while it is still daytime because night is coming. In John chapter 12, Jesus says this. He says, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Jesus is telling us that this Baby himself that we celebrate at Christmas, born to Mary, placed in the manger, was like a candle struck against the darkness of humanity's soul. Light for us to see, sight for us to believe, and by believing, for us to be transported. You see, what Jesus is saying is that if you believe in me, the darkness of this world will be replaced by relationship with my father. So there's one question at Christmas. There's, there's one big question that we always come to at Christmas time. And it's just simply this. Has the light of Jesus reached you? And have you seen it? And do you believe it? Because it's by believing in Jesus, the light of the world, that restores every wrong we've ever committed against God, that brings us into the life that we've always wanted, that, that has given himself so that we can be free. It's that light that we give our lives to, which produces the real life that God promises us. Christmas time, as I think about what it means for us to be on a night hike in our souls, I think about the fact that we don't have to be in the darkness any longer. Christ has come. He's here. God with us means that he's present now and he's showing us his light. A lot of times, though, it's the darkness of our lives that clouds out his light. So many of us prefer darkness. We prefer to live our lives in the lies. And yet when the light of Jesus comes into our lives, it's like the sun rises in our souls and sheds light on that which is not true and gives us truth. Some of us are living in the darkness of betrayal. 
Someone that is close to you has, has not loved you the way they promised to love you. And you've lived under the shadow of somebody else's effect in your life and you've wondered, if there's a God, how does he care for me? The light of Jesus has come into this world to show us that, brother, sister, you are not alone, but he is with you. And more than him being with you, he has given his light to his people so that they can be with you too. Just this past week, I, I heard this story. It happened without me even knowing it. Um, Brad was preaching on Sunday right here and someone was watching online and joined us in the chat and just said to us, hey, would you guys pray for me because I just left a very dangerous situation, but it's good for me and I'm, I've taken a risk and I just don't know how I'm going to make it, but I just could really use some prayers. And Heartland is the type of church where if you ask for help and for prayers, we're here to say, yeah, absolutely, no questions asked. So I love this. One of the people who call Heartland home, they um, saw her request online and directly reached out and said, hey, I saw that this is something that's going on in your life. I can't imagine what's happening right now. And I would just love to figure out, is there a thing that I could do to help this season be easier for you? And this woman said, well, I got kids and they don't have clothes right now because we had to leave that all behind. And so there this week, Tuesday, Wednesday, there was this woman in our church just going around collecting sort of, sort of under the radar supplies and clothing and people purchasing brand new items for this woman's family because they just felt compelled to be the light in a really dark moment. And on Thursday, they presented her with a new wardrobe and a stock supply closet and some food for the weekend and for the celebration. And the response from this woman was just simply, wow. I didn't know God was on my side the way that he is on my side. You see, it's moments like that when we look around and we see the light of Jesus that has come into each of our darkness and, and when we let that light shine forward, we see it all the more. I used to think that Jesus coming to the world like a light meant that God flipped on the floodlights, kind of like if you were going to go angling or fishing late at night with one of those big lights. It's just bright and crazy. It floods everything. That's a pretty modern idea of light coming to the world. Actually, the way that the ancients would have thought about it would be more like a gradual receiving of a flame and that flame growing into a fire. And then that fire expanding as the sun in the sky would rise. You ever watch the sunrise? It goes from pitch black to blue to orange and purple all the way to clarity. Now, I just want to ask you today, has the light of Jesus come into your life? Have you allowed him to just speak and to change your darkness? The amazing thing about Christmas is that you can do that right now. Is that there's a disproportionate power to the light of Jesus. That he burns brighter than anyone else in the world and for longer than anyone else in the world. Because today, here we are in 2021 in Olathe, Kansas, thinking about the light that was lit in Bethlehem, which is on the other side of the world, some 2,000 years ago. We realize that this is no ordinary light. This light has power. This light is different. This light is brighter. This light goes further. This light brings us home.
So in a couple of minutes, the band's going to sing a song just as we think about the light of Jesus. And then we're going to take a moment and transition into one of my favorite moments of Christmas time is when we all sing Silent Night and pass the light of candles to one another. And this Christmas, as, as you receive the flame from someone else, I want you to think about the invitation that God has given to you that you could receive his light into your darkness. That no matter what it is that you're up against this year, no matter what it is that you have going inside of you this year, that there is forgiveness, that there is hope, that there is joy, that there is love found in the light of the world. And maybe if you've never accepted Jesus as your savior, this would be a moment where you could just privately between you and God start a conversation. Say, God, I, I, maybe I haven't trusted or believed in you ever. But for whatever reason, there's a spark in my heart right here, right now. And I ask that you would just let me see that Jesus is my savior. That you're righting every wrong. That you're bringing me home. Would you help me to believe? You could pray that prayer tonight. And everything could change. Maybe for you, you're here and you're desperately asking God to come into the darkness of someone that you love. And tonight as we pass the flame around, the light that symbolizes Jesus, the light of the world coming into our lives, maybe tonight you're praying for that person, asking God to show up, not like the floodlights coming on, but, but, but loving people gradually like the sun rises in their hearts so that they could see Jesus. He is the light that is unlike any other.
Friends, the birth of a child in a, mar- in a manger lets us know that whatever darkness you're facing, a light has come into that. And as Dan said, it's not a light that can come from within us or the light that we can make to shine into that darkness. It's a light that needs to come from outside of us as God himself broke into this world to be a light in your darkness. So before you blow out this candle, would you look at that flame and feel its warmth and know that the light of Jesus has come close to you. The light of Jesus has come close to you because he loves you. And there's nothing that you could do that ever could ever make him love you any more or less than he already does. So before we blow out these candles, just a couple of things to make sure that we don't burn this place down. One is as you blow it out, if you hold your hand behind it, that'll make sure that you don't blow any wax or flame on the person in front of you. They'll appreciate that. And the other thing is that right after you blow it out, just count to five and hold your candle still. That'll allow the the wax to, to kind of form and not drip over the seats behind you. 
And then as you leave today, you can drop them in the bucket. So on the count of three, we'll, we'll blow out these candles. Ready? One, two, three.